You're listening to Collegiate Chaos. Here are your hosts, Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, and Sam Ostry. To another episode of Collegiate Chaos, I'm Sam Ostry, joined here by Ben Dixon and Matt Levine. We have a ton to talk to. The college basketball season is in the books. It was an awesome season, capped off with a championship game that might have been a little disappointing. We'll get to that. There's a ton of uh, Maryland news, adding transfers, the Mark Turgeon extension, a lot of other coaching news and transfer portal news around college basketball. We're going to get to all of that. We're going to start with the national championship game. Baylor are the national championships. There's a ch- Champions, there's a ton to get to on both sides with Baylor and Gonzaga. And maybe a little disappointment from Gonzaga. I guess we'll just start with what, what were your impressions from the game? Um, well, I mean, I was a little disappointed because I've been hyping Gonzaga since, you know, the start of the season. But And I was also disappointed because it was a terrible basketball game, to be honest with you. But at the end of the day, you just got to appreciate what Baylor did. I mean, 86-70, to 70, I really don't even think it was that close. Um, I mean, Scott Drew and then the, the big three, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and Macy Oteague. And Davion Mitchell, I, I think he's, he's going to be a great pro, to be honest with you. The guy has absolute clamps on defense. Jared Butler can score like no other. I mean, just an, credit to Baylor, a great run. And maybe we were talking about the wrong team as, as being in the best of all time conversation. Because maybe if Gonzaga was in the Big 12, they would have the same record as Baylor going into the tournament. But props to Scott Drew when he was hired in 2003, which was a, sh- a shock to me. Like he's, he's literally been Baylor's coach our whole entire life. Um, he said he wanted to bring a national champion to Waco. He did exactly that. And, uh, I mean, he's one of the best coaches in the sport, and he proved it with the title. I think what stuck out to me was just Baylor's ability to shoot the basketball. And it just it, – every time Gonzaga would come back a little bit, Baylor would knock him right back down. And we never saw that the entire season. Um, so it was, it was definitely a unique game for Gonzaga. I don't think they expected to play from behind that, that much right away. And they just, they just didn't have it. I don't know. I think Baylor was just so much better than them. And it's not to say that Gonzaga was ever overrated or, you know, they didn't play anybody all year. It's their first test. That's not that's not what it is. If you look at their non-conference schedule, they literally played some of the best teams in the country. And they were supposed to play Baylor. But then when it matters most, Baylor was just better than them in that game. I, w- I would love to see a seven-game series between those two. I think Gonzaga would win it. But the one game that they played, Baylor's much better and I mean, Ben, you talk about Davion Mitchell. That's probably the best two-way player I've ever seen in college basketball. That's that might be a hot take, but I've never seen anybody defend on the ball the way he did in this tournament. And he solidified himself now as a first-round pick without question. So 100%. You talk about Yeah, probably a lottery pick. You talk about the 3 weeks of the tournament, a player can change his whole life. I mean, I don't know if he would have been that if he's not at Baylor going to the national championship and doing all this against some of the best teams and just, I don't know, Baylor never played a close game in the tournament, it felt like, and they just, they walked right through and they dominated Gonzaga. There was was no one who Baylor was losing to. Any college basketball team passed or present that night of the national championship on Monday, I mean... They were incredible on both ends. They shot the ball incredibly well from three. They were so locked in defensively. We were talking about before in our preview of the Final Four and Championship, their like defensive rating, and Ken Palm had them at like not even in the top twenty, I think it was. Like that's ridiculous. They were so locked in defensively. They were just there was no one they were crashing the boards. Everything about them was so in sync. 
they weren't losing to anyone that night. It was really just beyond impressive performance. And and I mean, talk about Scott Drew too. Like <laughs> he took over an absolute broken program. It, like there was the whole thing with a, t- a teammate murdered another teammate. I mean, it was, it was an absolute broken program. No one wanted that job because it was a horrible situation. He wasn't some like highly touted guy, so he got the job and took it. And he just completely turned that program around. All the credit to, to in the world to him because I mean it's beyond impressive, and, and he deserves a national championship, and he has he's got it. Also, I think I think a thing we that was a little overlooked by us from Baylor before before I'd say, but this we got to be the worst predictors of all time because I mean we predicted basically the whole tournament, Sweet Sixteen <laughs> and the Final Four, and we just uh, we like didn't get a single pick, right? But <laughs> other than that, that's March. You talk you talk about Baylor. Gonzaga does not have Chachachua, Flagler, and Matthew Mayer coming off the bench. Like they don't have those three guys who are. Great college basketball players coming off the bench. I mean, Baylor, Baylor goes eight deep on any given night, and those are eight legitimate players. It didn't include Flo Thamba and uh, Mark Vidal before that. But to bring to bring those three guys off the bench is incredible. I mean, what they call Chachu uh, a big John, and a Rafter Rafter was calling that him that all weekend. I think Myers a pro prospect, and I mean Flagler from from Presbyterian to the national championship is just a crazy story, but. I mean, you gotta give credit to Scott Drew, like building the program off, off some transfers that no one's even heard of, and some some overlooked recruits. I mean, there was a great article from uh, Jeff Goodman a couple of months ago about each guy's journey to Baylor, um, and it, it's a lot of these guys really just came out of nowhere. So you gotta give him credit. And I mean, we witnessed one of the best college basketball teams I've ever seen on Monday night. You talk about those guys that come out of nowhere. Macy Oteague is one of them. Put up 19, second highest leading scorer on the team. Just one division, one offer out of high school is astonishing to think about for a player of that caliber now. I don't know where he came from, how he (laughs) did this, but he literally put himself in the conversation as one of the best players in the country. And credit in the world to Scott Drew, again, just going out and just figuring out a way to build this program. And it it took years, but when you get to this point now, it's... It's ne- they're never going to stop being at the top now. Yeah, I mean, they, they absolutely deserve it. And we all predicted Gonzaga for a reason. I mean, they were <laughs> we thought they were unbelievable. And looking at this from Gonzaga and Mark Hughes' perspective, I mean, I said it earlier, and I think we all agree, Baylor was losing to nobody that night because they just played a terrific game. But Zaga, Gonzaga was pretty disappointing. And, I mean, when you look at Mark Few and, and what they've all the chances they've had, there was no better chance than, than he's going to have than this one. I don't th- and you said it earlier, Matt, I don't think it's like they didn't play anyone this year because they certainly scheduled the best non-conference they possibly could. But for whatever reason, I mean, they, they came into an incredible opponent, but they couldn't get it done. And this was Mark Few's best chance. I really don't see an opportunity for him. I mean, maybe, you never know, but I don't see an opportunity for him to win. If he didn't win this year, I don't I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I mean, they're going to have a great team next year again. They year. always Especially will. Especially if they get Chet Holgram too. I mean, they'll be, they'll be awesome again. Um... I think a thing that we haven't talked about yet from that game was Drew Timmy got absolutely yeah, exposed yeah. on the defensive end and on the glass. I mean, what he probably had how many points? Let's let's see. He had twelve Five points, points, five boards, five turnovers. Four it, it was going to be the worst twelve and five performance I've ever it, seen because he, he got violated and inside. You like, saw you saw like in the middle of the game he was stretching out on the sideline like something he might have pulled something. I don't know if that was a lingering injury from the game before. 
But, like, he, he was getting destroyed on the glass. I mean, he was a legitimate liability out there, especially in the beginning when they were eating up and getting a ton of second-chance opportunities. And that's how Baylor was able to go and on a big, on, take a big, take a, a big lead early. So, I mean, it was, it was embarrassing, really. And then he had some productiveness in the second half. Like, they were feeding him in the post, and he got a basket. But at that point, Gonzaga was trailing already by, like, 10 consistently throughout the entire game. And they were just shooting two-pointers, and Baylor was coming down and knocking down threes. Gonzaga never went to the three-ball. They're not some elite three-point shooting team. They can certainly knock it down. They never went to the three-ball, and they were consistently just shooting twos while Baylor was shooting threes with the lead. You just, it's yeah. no way to come back, and it, it wasn't a recipe for success. When you talk about the boards and, and rebounding the whole game, Baylor had 16 offensive rebounds. Gonzaga only had five. Yeah, that's the difference. And I, I, it's just, I, I mean, you had five total rebounds from Timmy. He didn't have a single offensive rebound. They only rebounded the ball 22 times. Baylor had 38 total rebounds. And Mark Vidal had eight of the offensive, eight of the 16 offensive boards. I mean, they just got dominated on the glass. And you said, Sam, a liability. That's exactly what he was. He wasn't rebounding the ball to a high efficiency. And Baylor was getting all of these opportunities right away. It reminded me a lot of the Alabama game against, or UConn, rather, against Maryland early in the first round of the tournament, where UConn just probably had like five shots in the first two possessions, maybe. I don't even know. But they came out and just rebounded the ball and got opportunities. And when you get more opportunities, you're going to score. That's how this game works. So they just weren't able to stop that and figure out a way to box them out and not let them get offensive rebounds. But it felt like every time there was a shot up by Baylor, they were crashing the glass every time. Nobody was getting was back. Dominant. They were just going for the ball, and they, they they just wanted the ball. They wanted the ball out of Gonzaga's hands. I mean, they wanted it. it more, and it's not even a question. Like, Gonzaga came out sluggish. I don't know. Maybe it's like, all right, they played on Saturday. Baylor had a blowout. The game was over quickly against Houston, and Gonzaga it had the, it was in the later game, the Saturday night game, and they had an absolute nail-biter. With um, UCLA, which I guess we haven't reported since that. That was an incredible game of basketball. But um, and so I mean, they might they're, they're tired. I mean, they have to go home. There's it's like a 24 hour. I mean, it's really 48 hours until tip. But it's it's hard to come back from that. And they it showed they came out incredibly sluggish. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we also talked about before the Houston game, which was also a blowout. The Baylor Houston game. How both teams were great offensive rebounding teams and. I mean, we were not wrong. I mean, Baylor dominated the offensive glass Monday night, and it was it was really the key factor in why they won. They, just, they did want it more, and they, they played they played their strengths to uh, the best of their ability. And the last thing from that game is, um, I mean, Jalen Suggs again. We we haven't recorded since the since the Final Four or the, or the championship. So I mean, what do we think about Jalen Suggs as an overall prospect? I mean, I'm not down on him. He's I'm not down on him at all, but. In the national championship, those were like legitimate NBA defenders. He struggled to break shoulders and, and get get to his spots that we I don't think we'd seen him do all year. I mean, he he had no problem doing that all year. And I'm not saying he's not going to be a great NBA player because of that, but it was it was a little telling how much he struggled to get downhill and break shoulders. He did have two fouls early, so maybe he was scared of going in, like going off of one foot and taking a charge. But I thought that was a little bit telling. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it was a little bit of, uh, of an anomaly. Uh, I think he's still a great pro prospect, and I think a very underrated part of his game, obviously we know the scorer and the athlete that Jalen Suggs is. His vision on the court is honestly second to none. I mean, you can look at the play he made against uh, UCLA with the 
the full court outlet pass. I know he made one of those plays in the season two where uh, I.I. got fouled in the layup. But um, I, th- I think it's an anomaly. I think he's still going to be a great pro or a good pro. Um, I still think he's worthy of a top three, top five pick. Um, I'd like it's a great point you made, Sam, that he got two fouls early on. Um, definitely probably affected his mindset for the rest of the game. But uh, I'm, I'm still sold on subs. I'm not going to – he's a winner too. So I'm, I'm not I'm not going to let that deter me. Yeah, I, I think so. – I'm going with what Ben said too. I think – I mean, I would put him if, – if Gonzaga had won this game and everything was different, he didn't struggle a little bit, I probably would have said he's better than Cade as, uh, as the number one pick. But I can't say that now. So, um, But I, I think he's a top three pick. I think he, he reminds me a lot of Derrick Rose just – incredible athlete his block against UCLA in the final two minutes of regulation and then that pass down the floor I mean that was literally one of the most freak athlete plays I've ever seen from a guard and then obviously that half court shot that sends him to the championship game that everybody knew was going in because it's classic that that's what happens to the best players but um I think he's just such a solid player that I don't want to take away anything from him on just one game, um, the toughest game of his life. And you see him at the end of the game literally crying on Mark Few's shoulder and then crying in Drew Timmy's arms. Like Nobody wanted it more than him on Gonzaga's team, and it showed with 22 points, even though he still struggled to get to the basket. Um, but he he was literally, it seemed like, the only one that, that on the Bulldogs that wanted it the most. And then you see him at the end just crying his eyes out that 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 is what sucks about the tournament every year but it has to happen and when you see that from a player I don't think there's any NBA coach that isn't going to say I want this guy everybody's going to want him yeah and I mean he's still undoubtedly a top he will be a top three to five pick and I think he deserves that it was just for me it was just I think I think some scouts might look at that game and and come away with something. But, I mean, he's still, his, you said his passing is incredible, and that's a huge part of his game. And, like you said, he clearly wants it. I mean, he's everything points that he's an incredibly hard worker, and he, he loves the game, he wants it, and I think that'll show in the NBA. Anything else on Gonzaga Baylor before we wrap up? Or the, the Final Four season as a whole? I mean, I'm, I'm sad the season's over. It was definitely, definitely one of my favorite ones to date. But, um... Wish it could have been capped off with a better championship game, but it was a great tournament. And uh, props props to everyone involved for making it happen in, the, in a pandemic. Yeah, I guess this shows that everything was was well worth it, I think. We can say that now. Um, it, it was a success. And in a year without Duke, Kentucky, and uh, pretty much those just top best teams that we see all the time, it was nice to finally see uh, – Two teams that had never won before in the championship game, but didn't live up to the potential that we, we thought it would. And that that's sports for you. It just you just never know. But I I hope next year is even more exciting with fans in full capacity back in games and just electric venues that that we have a we have, we have one right here, five minutes away from where we are right now, Xfinity Center, one of the best venues in college sports. So just getting back to that is is now the next goal, the next step. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is is that, I mean, I think if we had this game, Gonzaga Bay, that was scheduled for in December, I think if we had it earlier this year, it might have been a very different result in the national championship. And 
just a very different game, maybe a better game. There was a lot of expectation going into it. People talking about we had a discussion of the most anticipated game, and it didn't live up to the result. But I mean, it's still an awesome, awesome season as a whole, and I'm excited for fans. I mean, it was a weird year. I mean, hopefully, we got back to some normalcy. But yes, I, I, I think we all miss the fans and electric venues like the Xfinity Center. We can get back to that next season. We got, we got a little breaking news here. Oh wow. Aaron Wiggins uh, declaring for the NBA draft, keeping his eligibility at Maryland, just posted on Instagram. So no agent? No agent. I mean... All right, so we, we were just... We're holding out hope. Holding out okay, hope. Okay, so we were just... That's interesting. So we were just um, going to get into a conversation. We're all wheeling and dealing here with that news. We were just going to get into a conversation here about Maryland. I mean, they added two transfers, Mark Church extension. A lot has been going on. And this team, we, we were going to talk about, a lot of it hinged on if Wiggins was going to stay or not. So there's that news that he's going to declare for the draft, not hiring an agent. So he has the opportunity to come back to Maryland. And this roster largely depends on if Wiggins is on the team next year. But they got Fats Russell from Rhode Island, who averaged 14.7 points per game last year. Wasn't a great three-point shooter, but he's incredibly quick, incredibly athletic, a true point guard, which is what Maryland wanted and needed, and they also got a true big. So Mark Turgeon is having success in the transfer portal. He got Kudus Wahab from Georgetown, 6'11", um, big, who averaged 12 points per game and 18 rebounds per game last year, shooting 60%, just under 60% from the floor. So, I mean, they got they needed a true point guard and needed a big. That's what they lacked in the Big Ten this year. Mark Turgeon solved both those things. And speaking of Mark Turgeon, he got a contract extension. So a lot's been going on. He, we were talking about, oh, we, Damon Evans needs to make a decision quickly. He, well, what's his future going to look like? It's a three-year contract extension, and the details of the money you can read about, but it, it, they are interesting. But it's a three-year contract extension, which, keep, which keeps him here until 2026 at least. Yeah, well, he, we heard the news that he got the extension, what was it, Friday, last Friday. Um, a little Friday news dump. School didn't announce it until a couple of days ago, but... Um, got extended, and then Saturday morning, he pulls off Fats Russell and Kudus Wahab in a span of 45 minutes within each other. Um, and you got to give him credit, because he, he really did strike out on the transfer port last year. There's no sugarcoating that. Galen Smith is not, I mean, glory to him, but he's, he's, not, he's, not, the guy, uh, he's not the guy we wanted in the transfer port. He struck out on Carly Jones, he struck out on Bryce Aiken, he struck out on Jordan Bruner. All these guys come back this year. You get two of the best transfers in the portal. Fats Russell, who really, his speed is electric, and he's a he's an all-defense guy in the A-10. I mean, yeah. his shooting did decline this year, but he shot 36% from three last season, which is which is pretty good from three. Uh, and then you got Kudus Wahab uh, inside in the post. Some people think he may be an NBA prospect. He is a little raw, but um, 60% from the field, very efficient, and I mean, it's just such a welcomed addition. I mean, there was such a huge gap between Sticks playing when we were the top, uh, when the Terps were a top ten team in the nation, and then this year, um, really just makeshift at the five between Galen Smith, Dante Scott, Little Jarris Hamilton. But um, I think the the big thing with uh, Kudus Wahab it allows Dante Scott to go back to his natural position at the four. All right, yeah, big play the four, but three. Um, and I mean, he he's just a lights out shooter, as we know, and. Um, I think he'll excel not having to play against big guys such as Hunter Dickinson or Trevion Williams in the post. Um, so it's definitely not only a good get to solve the center problem, which was much needed, and I think it's a great place for Wahab, but it also allows other players to go back to the normal positions, um, which is a welcome sight. 
Yeah, so, I mean, when we, I mean, there's no doubt that those are both great gets for Turgeon. I mean, they needed a true point guard, and they needed that true big. And like you said, Dante Scott can go back to his natural position. Right now, as the roster, the roster may look very different from what we think it is right now until opening day next November. But right now, I mean, people are ranking them in the top five, top ten. And what, what that looks like largely depends on their wing depth. I mean, they have that point guard. They have that big. Dante Scott, like you said, is going to go back to a more of a four position where he can play in pick-and-pop situations and play on defense out, out on the wing. He's a first, He can be a versatile defender, as he showed this year. But, I mean, it's really going to depend on where if Wiggins stays or not. If Wiggins leaves, I mean, they lose that wing scoring depth, which they desperately need, and that shooting depth where they have to stretch the floor. Because, like we said, Fats Russell isn't a great three-point shooter. I mean, he can shoot the three ball, but he's, he's not great from out there. Um, so it largely depends on Wiggins. And, like, when we look at Wiggins and that decision, we'll, we'll, it's going to be interesting to see where he gets graded by scouts in the NBA. Right. I think we all agree that he has a great NBA body and a ton of potential in the, in like as an NBA prospect, and he might be graded way higher than anyone thinks, which might make, make him realize, like, now's my time to go. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Kevin Herter situation when he was kind of overlooked in college, declared for the draft, um, realized people realize he's a much better, better athlete than people think. He's really lights out from three. He worked himself into a top 20 pick, but... Um, just to touch on Wiggins here. Jonathan Giveney of ESPN uh, owns DraftExpress.com. Had a couple nice quotes from Wiggins on his uh, on his maintaining his college eligibility and declaring for the draft. He says, "I want to take advantage of the opportunity to see where I stand in the eyes of NBA GMs. I'm all about being a first rounder and hearing about guarantees and promises in terms of keeping my name in the draft. That's why I'm keeping my college eligibility. I think I have a lot more I can show that wasn't really put on the front page of the season." So to me, that, that quote sounds pretty open-minded. If, he, if he's going to get a first-rounder grade, he's going to go, but I think he's more than happy coming back to school and competing for a Big Ten championship. Do you think the first-round grade is like he's going to go? Because I don't think there's a question that he'd go in the first round. I like. Do, do you think if it's like late first round is where his grade is, he would come back and be like, he legitimately could be a potential lottery pick. I don't, I don't, he's I, old. Like he, he would be, what, 23 next year? But... I think like he he is he seems so NBA ready for me. The only thing that isn't there that he could improve on is his three point shooting. But I mean, do you think a first round a late first round grade is, means he goes? I mean, he's gonna he's gonna turn twenty three in the middle of next season if he were to come back to college. So I mean, he's he's at the age where if he if he gets I think a late first round grade, I think he's gonna go. And I think it'd yeah. be a mistake if he didn't go to be honest with you. Yeah, and I think and I think that's the big thing that a lot of people are gonna tell him as he goes through this process is all right, you're like you're twenty two, you're twenty three, you don't see you're gonna be twenty three next season. You don't see a lot of guys just going in that late because it's it's pretty uncommon that I mean scouts are worried of you because if you're that old, I mean, you might be ready sooner as a role player, but scouts might be worried. We saw with Josh Hart, who's an impact player in the NBA, but I mean, it's just an interesting situation to keep in mind. I think what Ben said is is really sticking with me too. Is that he if if he has to work out for these teams or whatever, he's a freak athlete and yeah. has the size and has the body. And if you take away the one, his sophomore season was inconsistent, and the beginning of his junior season was inconsistent. But if you put together the, his entire freshman year and probably the last two or three months of, of this past season, he's a Close to a lottery pick as you can get. Probably a first-round pick, but I don't know. I really don't know what he's going to decide to do. 
Um, it, it all depends on what feedback he gets, but to, to be open-minded like that, I think is, is huge for Maryland. And if he does come back, they're going to compete for a big 10 championship. Um, but if he doesn't, do they still compete? I don't know. We'd have to, we'd have to see how everybody else plays around him because he was literally the engine. Him and I all were the two engines, but without Wiggins there, I don't know how that would, uh, play out next year. There's still so much to play out in yeah. the transfer portal too. Um, I mean, from what from what I've gathered, the, there's going to be no more freshmen that we take on. Uh, you got a good three man class with James Graham, Ike Cornish, and Julian Reese. But obviously, let's let's see how many players in the transfer portal. I think it was 1,100 last time I checked. It's there's 1,280 plus names in the transfer portal. That's a lot. So there's still a lot to play out. Um, I know Noah Locke is a name that was mentioned in a lot of uh, Maryland circles. He's a great shooter. He still hasn't decided. Uh, he could be a possible get. And there's, there's just a bunch of guys still out there. And you never know who can who can withdraw from the draft and then transfer. I think it's a good sign that Wiggins declared and didn't even enter the transfer portal, which you see a lot of people do. So they have all three options. We obviously know he loves Maryland, and it would be great if he comes back. But it's it's still April 9th. There's a lot. The season ended four years ago. There's a lot to still play out. And, I mean, the, the transfer portal is something different this year. But Yeah, and the other, the other thing with the Maryland roster is – Daryl Morsell, who, who, we, who didn't, we haven't even got to yet, but since we last recorded, he announced that he's going to declare for the draft, keep open his, his eligibility, and and um, keep open the option to transfer. So, I mean, that's an interesting situation, too. Yeah, I mean, there's so much Maryland stuff, I forgot to include that in the outline, but um, I think I think Daryl Morsell's time as a, as a Maryland Terrapin is done, I think. I don't even think he's going to come back to college, but... I mean, he graduated last year. Yeah. He's, he played this season as a graduate student. He graduated in three years. Um, I think his time as a as a college basketball player is done. If he does come back, you know, I'd love for it to be at Maryland, but I don't, I don't, I don't even see it to be honest with you. Um, I would just, I think, I, 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 I think he should, he should make money playing basketball. I 100 like, agree. I think he will go to professional basketball at some level, but I think we would all be shocked if, for some reason, he did play college again and didn't wasn't playing in a Maryland jersey. I could see the only scenario where I could see that would be that he goes to like a lower a lower school and I mean when he's testing the waters they like he he could easily be an NBA defender but his offense is the thing that scouts are probably going to say that he needs to to work on or get better and show them that uh, if he wants to get drafted but I think going back to college the only scenario i see not being at maryland would be going to a lower school and being like the number one scoring option and just developing a completely new offensive skill set really and that could potentially help him get to the league but i mean he's proved his defense enough so i'm curious to see whether he ends up overseas uh, in the nba I which i don't think he player. would but he's I not think he's, not, he's not a good enough I mean, ball handler in my opinion he's a great defender. I mean, he can, if he and wants, he's a great mid-range shooter. If he wants to play in the G League, that'll be open for him. Oh, 100%. But who knows, who knows what he wants. And and then there's still Eric Ayala, who isn't locked into coming back next year. I mean, we haven't heard anything from him, but um, and this this Maryland roster as of now, April, what's the date here? April 9th, is going to look very, very different in a, down the road. And, and it really all hinges on Wiggins, where we just got that news from. If Wiggins is on this team, this is a top 5-10 to 10 team in the entire country. Like Matt said, competing for the Big Ten, maybe even a national title. If Without Wiggins, and I think he's that good and that much of an impact player, I don't think this is a top 25 team, depending on what plays out with the transfer portal. But. Yeah. 
mean, we will see. It's a lot to play out. College yeah. basketball offseason is this, it's great, but it's it's literally the longest offseason by far in any sport. Yeah. Well, this year especially because of the transfer yeah. portal, which we'll talk about if that should It was also the last sport to get shut down and then from COVID. And then the first – or it was the first one to get shut down and then the last one to come back. That way. So they had the longest offseason from – the early March in the tournaments to playing a delayed season in late November around Thanksgiving. That is an absurd amount of time. So it'll feel a little bit shorter this time, but still very long and frustrating for us hoops junkies. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> yep. All right. So, I mean, there's a lot of developments, and that was just breaking news. As First time we've to. had breaking news yeah, on the show. Legitimate breaking news. Uh, Matt was tweeting away over there. <laughs> Me and Ben had to hold it down a little bit. Um, but yeah, so the, there's the Maryland news. We'll obviously keep you guys updated throughout the offseason with everything going on with Maryland college basketball as a whole. There has been quite a, a bit of coaching news that we're going to get to. We'll start with Sean Miller, who was finally fired it's in Arizona. About, it's about time. I mean, this guy was on tape from two years. I think it was made available to the public in the last year, but... It was from years ago on tape that the public heard. We all saw it if you watched the Christian Dawkins Dawkins documentary. Great doc, by the way. Um, unbelievable yeah. doc. Um, we should review that sometime. Yeah, That'd be great. Yeah. Um, he was on tape, like admitting to openly paying players, and nothing. There was no. There was some investigation. It's on tape though. I don't know how anything didn't come of it. Finally, after a few disappointing seasons, he's fired. At Arizona, we don't know who's going to take that job. I don't even know if it's a coveted job at this point. But what do we think about that? I mean, I mean, just to start to the to the casual basketball fan. I mean, this guy ran a program where his assistant coach was in the center of an FBI investigation. He Brooke Richardson went to, went to jail. Did, did he? He went to jail, right? I think. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but, uh, what, I mean, talk about loyalty. I mean, Arizona stuck with them for four years after, after the whole scandal. I mean, DeAndre Ayton was pulled from a game because of it, and he was, he was still the coach four years later. It doesn't make any sense. But regardless, I mean, this Arizona job is, in my opinion, it's still a top-five job on the West Coast. I mean, between Gonzaga and UCLA, I think Arizona is probably right there behind those schools. Um it's, it's a premier program in the Pac-12 with a lot of history. And, I mean, whoever whoever does get that job is is, is going to get a good one. I think I think it's a good place to recruit. Uh, it's a good it's a basketball program with history. They should be good, and bad, college basketball is better when Arizona's good. It's another, it's another one of those schools when we were growing up was just you could pencil them into the Elite Eight every year almost. I'm curious who their, their candidates could even be at this point um, with – just so many early changes already just a week after, not even after the championship game. We've already seen so many different things happen and moving parts. Uh, so, I mean, who do you who do you guys think could even be a potential candidate over there? I don't know. I mean... It's so, could, it's could. so crazy. Like, a college basketball coaching is the craziest thing. Like, how does Chris Beard go from yeah. the same oh. state to Texas and, like, that there's that too. We what? Yeah. <laughs> Are his guys just gonna go go to UT? I don't know. The the coach the coaching carousel. It's, it's is, the craziest think, thing in the world. I think it, with just everything that's going on with Arizona and the scandals and everything, I think they need to bring someone from outside, and I think they yeah. will. I don't 100%. think it can be someone who who was on who was on the bench that that should be promoted. I think it needs to come from the outside. I don't know who that is. Maybe a 
a, a face that isn't so familiar that can build the program back up. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, a name that's been thrown around, Tommy Lloyd, an assistant for Gonzaga. You got Damon Stoudemire, which I think would be a great get. Um, and then Luke Walton, who already said he's not coming to, to Arizona. He loves his job with the Kings. But um, it's, it's a great job, in my opinion, and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. And then, I mean, just to finish that off, the documentary that um, Ben and I were talking about earlier is called The Scheme. I mean, you just, you just have to watch it. Like it's, it's an, must, it's, must it's an unbelievable documentary 100%. that clearly implicates Sean Miller and Will Wade, who somehow still has a job. Will, Will Wade was worse, by the way. He was much worse. Yeah. Just watch the documentary. But um, to get to Sean Miller, just to wrap that up, there, he's never. I don't see him coaching college basketball again. There were some reports that he's going to be an assistant on the NBA on an NBA bench next season, and that's I think I mean, where he should go. He's, he's a bright basketball. Oh, absolutely. But he, he's better coach than his brother. Uh, <laughs> but he, um, but I don't see him coaching college basketball. At least at head position for a long time. Now there's more. There was more coaching news since we last were on air. Roy Williams, one of the greatest college basketball coaches to ever live, retired. It was a beautiful, heartfelt retirement speech that he gave. And I mean, I don't think it was su- that surprising. Maybe, maybe at the moment it was announced, it was. But I mean, he it, there had been reports for some time that he was he was checking out a little bit and not happy yeah. with the way college basketball was going. And Hubert Davis, a longtime assistant there who was very well respected across the game, got that job. So what do we think about that? Roy Williams' entire career and and that whole situation. I mean, Roy Williams this season definitely lost his touch a little bit. I mean, I don't know what it was. I mean, he did win the national championship in 2017. It's really not that long ago. Yeah, um, but for Roy, I mean, he's He's obviously one of the most legendary coaches in college basketball. Great career. At the end of the day, you got to realize he is seventy years old. Probably just wants yeah. to wants to move on with his life. I'm sure he's going to be still very involved with the North Carolina basketball program. He's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw his press conference, but he, he was he, he had some nice Turgeon quotes in there. Uh, Turgeon, one yeah. of his disciples. Uh, I know they have a good relationship. Um, but Roy Williams. I mean, I, to be honest, I wasn't that shocked when. When guys like Walker Kessler were entering the transfer portal, it was a little little fishy. You saw something was was maybe happening, but um, I mean, you just gotta you gotta celebrate the career of Roy Williams, one of one of the best coaches to ever do it at one of the one of the best programs in, in basketball. Yeah, it's gonna be weird not seeing him on the sidelines, and you talk about now like Bill Self getting the lifetime contract, and like when is Coach K gonna go or Calipari? Just it's it's going to be so different and so weird. It, it was weird to not see some of those teams in the tournament, but then to not see these coaches on the sideline because they're too old, retiring now, and just so decorated and everything, so well-respected. Um, but that news came out on April 1st, and when I first read that, I immediately thought that it was an April you Fool's cool, joke. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping it was, but uh, just a phenomenal career. and every, There's literally nobody that has a bad thing to say about Roy. Uh, I've been seeing it all over different broadcasts and Twitter and everything. Just so many journalists and and broadcasters like preaching how he treated them and helped them and everything. So just that that's how that's how coaches should look. That's who coaches should look up to really and how they should build their program. Yeah, and one of the things circulating on social media that I think we all saw when this was breaking was that Marcus Page Senior Day um, speech that he gave on. I guess this was a few years ago. I guess Marcus Page graduated in 2017. 2017, I think it was. 
Maybe 2018. Yeah, 2018. Yeah, when, when they lost to uh, Nova. To Nova was that no, was last 2016 year? then. Yeah, whatever whatever it was. The years mushed together. Whatever it was, it was... A, he got incredibly emotional center court just talking about everything that Roy Williams had meant to him, not just as a basketball player, but as a man, as a person, how he helped him grow. I mean, that's that's what you want as a coach. That's why people. That's why coaches should get into the business in the first place. And Roy Williams, he was all that and more. So, I mean, obviously, like Matt said, no one really has a bad word to say about him. One of the greatest basketball coaches, period, at any level, to ever live. And, you know, farewell to him. And Hubert Davis, I think, is a great replacement for him. I mean, Roy oh, Williams can't, can't say nicer things about him. I'm sure he heavily endorsed them in that search and it doesn't it's not gonna mess up recruiting because the in-house guy I'm sure he had to do with a lot of those recruits there. Yeah, I mean Hubert Davis is obviously a very, very well respected guy at North Carolina. He played at the school from uh, eighty eight to ninety-two. Um, obviously had a twelve year NBA career. Um, I mean this this is just the type of guy that you want. I think you look at the Jawan Howard model at Michigan where an alumni comes back to the school to, um, or in this case, uh, Hubert Davis is already out of school, and leads them leads them to prominence, gets all these recruits. I think Hubert Davis is a great get for North Carolina, a guy who played in the NBA, a guy who played for North Carolina, a guy who knows the program like the back of his hand. I mean, he's been he's been coaching with them since 2012, um, and he's only 50 years old. If all goes right, we'll see Hubert Davis as the head coach of North Carolina for the next 20 years. Yeah. So I think I think it's definitely a great hire by North Carolina. A home run hire, to be honest with you. Yeah, and just to wrap wrap some news up around college basketball, UCLA handed Mike Cronin a two-year extension, which was very well-deserved after the, after the run they went on this year. Um, Mike Woodson, who's the re- recently hired coach at Indiana, we talked about that hiring, but Trace Jackson Davis – who was their star, a lot of people thought was a lock to go to the NBA. He's opportunity to return to school instead of going to the NBA, which is big for them. I'm sure Mike Woodson heavily influenced that. And then Luke Garza won the Wooden Award, which um, consensus national player of the year. I don't think that was a surprise to anyone. Just to wrap, wrap some things up, what do we think about all that? Well, I mean, Mike Woodson, I mean, you looked, you looked at Twitter the day you got hired, and I mean... We, we were all high on it, though. We were high on we it. People, it. Pe- the national media wasn't, and so far, so good. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis returning to the school, obviously, that's the best possible thing that could have happened. Christian Lander, who was a five-star, didn't really play too much uh, for Indiana this past season, but uh, I expect him to have a major role this year. He entered the transfer portal, and he brought him back out of it. And Xavier Johnson from Pitt, uh, he's a star guard. I mean, he's, he's going to be great for them, I think. I mean, this is you need talent to become good in Indiana. The college basketball is better when Indiana is good. They're they're blue blood, and what they haven't been in tournaments since twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um, I mean, college basketball needs Indiana to be good, and those are three great steps uh, toward that happening. Yeah, I think. I mean, when Trace Jackson Davis announced his return, I was just completely stunned by that. I don't know what Mike Woodson said to him, but I mean, that is just a complete. Great job by Woodson in the first five days, probably, or whatever, first week of his job. And, I mean, he, he's just making a, a great case for these guys to return. Um, we saw Armand Franklin did go through a transferring to Virginia, and Al Durham's going to Providence now. But just to get Jackson Davis back is the biggest thing, and that was probably the number one thing that Mike Woodson wanted to do. So we'll see how Indiana does, though. Um because they, they obviously underachieved this year. 
Um, but we'll see what kind of system he puts. And then Luca Garza being the consensus national player of the year, that was something that we went into the preseason thinking would happen. And he lived up to that potential and more. And uh, very excited to see his jersey get retired by the Hawkeyes at some point in the near future. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I saw some people like upset about that Luke Gar- Luke Garza be- being the consensus national player of the year, which is ridiculous. I mean, there's probably some some yeah, clowns I mean, on Twitter, but it was just ridiculous. Everyone, he was undisputed. Everyone, everyone loves Cade, but I mean, this is this is the second year in a row. This guy is just you dominated college basketball. Yeah, and I mean, it was an incredible run he went on, and where he stands for his future. I mean. Who knows? May I think he'll get drafted at some point. I think, I think, I think he's he's but he's a Europe guy. But I you don't think he'll even get drafted. No, I, I think, think he'll get I drafted. I honestly, I honestly don't even think he'll get drafted. But really? I mean, he probably. I mean, how do you not draft the player of the year? But yeah, second rounder. But his body is just not. He, yeah. he can't go up against like. I agree with that. Uh, I don't even know, like a shooting big man. I can't even think of one in the he NBA can't. right now. But like everybody. In the NBA, every year just gets so much more athletic and so much stronger. And like he struggles to run up and down the floor. Yeah, but I mean, he because really on the block, like he's yeah. not he's not athletic enough or strong enough to guard a legitimate big man on the block. And on the perimeter, he's way too slow footed. Right. So I, I don't think he has a place in the NBA, but I still think we'll get an opportunity. Yeah, I think thing, he's gonna get a shot. The one thing that does help him is he can shoot. So yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not high on him as a defensive prospect. He's got to be like, – he, he I, I think his skill set to his body is the weirdest – like, he's the most – he's just the weirdest guy when he plays. But it's like a little – So good. Jokic, but He's so good. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's that. And then we're going to finish up with a conversation here about just the transfer portal in general. I mean, like Ben said earlier, there's – how many names did you say? 1,200? Uh, let me check verbal commits. Great Twitter account, by the way. I had verbal commits. Like, over 1,200 names. 1,280 plus. So there's over 1,200 names in transfer portal. And this is because of this new rule that was implemented last year where you don't have to sit out a year when you transfer because of COVID, which made sense last year because of all the uncertainties with the coronavirus. But this is here this season too. And people are saying that it might it might be here for the future. I mean, I really don't like this at all. If it's here for the future where you don't have to sit out a year, I don't think it's right at all where people can just transfer every single year. It's becoming NBA free agency. There were reports, I think, from Jeff Goodman that one of the reasons Roy Williams was, it was his time to retire. He wasn't happy with the direction college basketball was going in. And one of those things was the transfer portal. I mean, I really don't like it. But what, what do we think about this new rule in transfer portal where you don't have to sit out a year? Do we think it should, it should, it should stay in college basketball? I don't know. I mean... I'm I'm so back and forth on this. I think if you make you make a commitment to a school, it's for four years, and if if there's no circumstances that cause you to transfer, except that it didn't work out for you there, you should you should have to redshirt. I mean, that's just it's typical college basketball. But I I do kind of like it for this year. It's it's NBA free agency in college basketball. I think we got to see the product of college basketball on the floor next year as a result of 1,280 people entering the transfer portal. It might reach 1,400. Who knows? But um. Yeah, I think I think it's a wait and see type of thing. I'm leaning towards no, I don't like it, but for if it's a one season thing, I love it to be honest with you. It's it's fascinating to follow. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it gives a lot of freedom to the players, obviously, and I think that might be like the first thing that I don't know. There's I feel like the NCAA just never does anything that's like player driven. This is like the first thing that I can think of, but um, I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think it works now just because of all the uncertainty still in the world. But 
when we get out of this on the other side, I don't want to see in an offseason just all these star players moving around. And that that could literally I fear that like the Warriors in the NBA, like something like that would happen where like all the best players in the country just try to team up. That would be brutal. But, and, like, be better than Gonzaga was this year. But, I mean, but, but they, I they, think, they can do that before high school anyways. We, we saw with Duke when Zion, R.J. Sure. Barrett, and Cam Radish. And, didn't and I also, and it's not only that, I also think, like, that doesn't, they, yeah, they'll win a championship in the NBA when they're already getting paid millions of dollars. That doesn't necessarily help their, their pro- prospects for them right. yet. I mean, if you're go, jo- going, joining a team with four other superstars, like, you're not going to get as many touches, as many looks, and your stock might fall and go into the NBA, which isn't really... Which really is really isn't in the best interest for those players. So I'm not sure they would even do that. But I saw this idea floating around that like maybe you can you have one one you you can transfer once and it's only allowed to happen after your sophomore season. Which I wouldn't hate. I mean, who knows? But the, the thing why the reason why I don't like it is just because there's no stability. Like everyone yeah. players will think, all right, one year maybe I didn't get as much time, maybe I didn't get as much as many shots as I wanted to. And they're going to think, all right, like transfer. And so, but the grass isn't always greener on their side. And, and they'll realize that. And it may ruin them, ruin their careers and their college and their prospects for them yet. Like, I think if you commit somewhere, you should at least, unless there's ex- extenuating circumstances, if you commit somewhere, you should have to play it out and see how it goes. And if you're really unhappy enough where you're willing to sit out an entire year, then it's a different story. But I don't think if after one season where things didn't go your way, you should just be able to get up and transfer. Right, I, mean, I don't have a problem with it. If the kid, if the kid doesn't fit in the program, he can transfer. But I mean, I think it's just how it be, how it should be in college basketball. You should have to sit a year. If, yeah. if unless your coach gets fired, something, some extenuating yeah. circumstance. Um, it's tradition college basketball. It's, it's sit a year, develop in the program, and it shouldn't be like free agency. It's it's hundred percent agree. I mean, this year it I will do be see fun. both sides of it though. I see both sides. Yeah, I mean, we're all for like player play freedom of for the players, and but just. I and think, we're also I for think, a competitive balance of in the sport. So. Yeah, and I think overall for the sport, it would be better if, if it stayed how it was. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's it. Do we have anything else to wrap up the season? No, I mean, I just... Pain. Yeah, we're pain. <laughs> we're, we're waiting for it's, guests. It's almost we, we, we shot out a couple of You can only sleep. No, no, no responses, but we'll, we'll, we'll be hopefully getting some guests on in the future. Yeah, so I mean, there's we're, we're not going anywhere here on Collegiate yeah. Chaos. I mean, we're... Certainly going to be with you throughout the NFL draft, which is at the end of this month, really three weeks away. I mean, that's that's coming up. The transfer portal and college basketball is going to be an incredible offseason, so we're going to keep you up to date with that. The football season is coming around, and the spring games for a lot of schools across the country, including Maryland, are at the end of this month. Um, so, I mean, there's there's a ton to get to here on Collegiate Cast. We're going to hopefully bring you some guests all around college sports in the next few weeks. So, I mean, for Matt Levine, Ben Dixon, I'm Sam Ostry. Thanks for listening all college basketball season. For WMC Sports, we'll see you later.